All right, if you could go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, if you're grabbing the Bible tucked in the pew there in front of you, it's on page 573. Uh, I'm going to read all seven verses of the text for us, but we're only going to be looking at verse 6 this morning. So after I read the text, then I'm going to want us together to read verse 6, which will be our text for this morning. Some of you might be able to recite it by heart, or you may want to sing it, which I'm definitely not going to do. Uh, So starting in verse 1 of chapter 9, Isaiah writes, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now if you'll stand with me, let's just read verse 6 together. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Amen. Please be seated. This verse is well known to many of us because it's probably the second most famous portion of Handel's Messiah outside of the Hallelujah Chorus. And I was just reading through, I went just to double check, and the lyrics are essentially, it's just a direct quote of Isaiah 9, chapter 6. But I was looking on one website, and they actually referenced it as Isaiah 9, verse 5. And if you noticed, that would have made a very different song had it actually been Isaiah 9, 5. So put the song in your head. And then read these words, for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. I just don't, I don't know that that would have the same ring to it. I don't know that we would be humming that one during the Christmas seasons. Good news. It's good news. Doesn't quite resonate the same uh, in song form. But today we're going to be talking about that verse, that verse that is so well known to many of us because we hear it sung again and again during the Christmas season. I usually start a Christmas uh, radio station, used to use Pandora until I got Amazon Prime, and I don't like ads, so I just use Prime Music, and I put that on, and I'm, all, I'm always liking that one. Anytime Handel's Messiah shows up, I'm, I'm hitting the thumbs up so I can hear it again and again, and we just sort of have that verse washed over us. But sometimes something that washes over us a lot can, can become essentially white noise to us. We're like, yeah, yeah, that's good news, but we don't actually dig into it. And so we're going to dig into it this morning, because this particular text, this particular verse 
I mean, it's telling us a lot about Jesus because the more we understand who Jesus is, the more we're going to understand how good it is that he is our king, how good it is for us, and we're going to want to lean into him more. The more we understand about him, the more we realize how much we need him, and the more we're going to rely on him. And that's where to look at this morning. And so as we go through this text, we're going to be looking at it. We're going to work our way through kind of the three sections of this one verse. And it starts here with the, the well-known, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The first thing I want us to note about that verse is that Jesus is a gift that's been given to us. He's a gift for us from the Father. Uh, John Calvin in his commentary put it this way. He said, this giving is one of the chief articles of our faith, for it would have been of little avail to us that Christ was born if he had not likewise been our own. His point is, if Jesus came but not as a substitute for us, not as a gift to us, if he wasn't for us and our salvation, then he would have been essentially just a reminder that we would never attain what was necessary to be with Jesus or to be with the Father, I should say, for eternity. But he was a gift. He was a gift that was given to us. This is what Josh was talking about in fellowship group last week. He was talking about the fact in John 3.16 that, that God gave us his only begotten son. So Christmas is about one gift being given. It's about the love of God for us. And if we forget that Christmas is about how much God loves us, then we've missed the point. That's, that's what Josh was teaching us last week during the time in fellowship group. And that's what the, the point here at the beginning of this verse is, is that we understand he wasn't just a child who was born, he was a son who was given. He was a son who was given. He was a gift for us. We, as we just heard Josh Fleming reading in the Jesus Storybook Bible, he was God's great gift. So here's the, the, the one takeaway I want us to have from that. Like, I think as Christians, a lot of times we tell our kids, hey, we know the reason that we give gifts at Christmas is because God gave us the best gift ever. And it sounds like a, a platitude that we tell our children. They're like, yes, 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 now let me open my presents. I want to encourage you, never stop telling your kids that. Because that is why we give gifts. The whole point of giving gifts to one another is to remind ourselves that we are recipient of good gifts. We are recipients of the best gift. We're recipient of what God has given to us, what he knew we absolutely needed. Christmas, I mean, this is the way that, I've shared this with you all before, I think. Um, I'm a terrible gift receiver. Terrible gift receiver. Because everything I want, I know exactly what I want, and I know exactly how I want it. And so very early on in my marriage, Hillary and I realized that it would probably be best if I purchased my own gifts. <laughs> it would help Christmas morning and birthdays be a joyful experience, because I can be a bit of a curmudgeon. And I don't like surprises either. So like the surprise gifts, like what would surprise me is if someone gave me something that I actually wanted. That's what would surprise me. And so we just realized that for the way that I'm wired, as this kind of Grinch individual, let's just, let's just cut to the chase. And so what's going to happen, my, my family's not here, they're with my in-laws, so I can tell you how this works. My kids would be severely disappointed if they knew this truth about me. So Hillary still wraps gifts that I purchased for myself so that I can open them and thus continue the illusion that I like to receive gifts that are a surprise to me. So now y'all are sworn to secrecy about that. But where I'm going with this is I need a reminder that I don't actually always know what's best for me, but God does. 
And when he gave his son, if, there's a, if there are times and moments, and we'll talk about this in just a second, when I think that I need something that Jesus doesn't supply, I'm wrong. Because Jesus is the gift, the supply that I needed, the one that God knew that I needed, and he gave it to me. And so sometimes, maybe you're like me, you can lose sight of what you truly need, but thanks be to God, he never lost sight and never loses sight of what we actually need. And so that's the next portion of this passage where it says, the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall, well, I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. The government shall be upon his shoulder. That's what I want to look at here. What does it mean that the government's going to be upon his shoulder? I want you to contrast that with what, you know, with what we see in verse 4. In verse 4, it says this, for the yoke of his burden, talking about the people, the people have a yoke of burden on them, and there's a staff on their shoulder. It's the rod of their oppressor, and that God's going to break that rod. Why? Because God's going to give a son who's going to put the weight, the burden, the yoke on his own shoulder. You see it here when he says it's going to be upon his shoulder. There's a staff on the shoulder of the people, or there's a king who puts the, the, the yoke, the burden on his own shoulder. It's a contrast that's happening here that Isaiah is, pl- is sort of playing out for us. We're going to be ruled by someone. There's going to be, and when it says a government, we're talking about a king. There's going to be a ruler over us. Either that ruler is going to beat our backs and oppress us, or that ruler is going to take the weight of, of what is needed and what is demanded, and he's going to put it on his own shoulders. And so what we have here is we have a son who rules by putting the shoulder on his own weight, uh, the, I'm sorry, putting the weight on his own shoulder instead of putting it on us. You can think in the reference to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11 when he said that, that his yoke was easy and his burden was light. He's the kind of king that doesn't oppress. He's the kind of king that carries us. He's the kind of king who is the supply for what we need, which means he rules us the way we need to be ruled because each one of us has to be led. We're not innate leaders. No matter how we're wired, <clears throat> excuse me, how we're wired to be leaders maybe within our own context, but ultimately no, no one of us can be at the top of, of the, you think like the pyramid, not pyramid scheme, but maybe triangle of responsibility. We'll go with that. None of us can be at the top. We all have to be led. So we're all looking someplace else for validation and for leadership. And we're being told by God, I give you my son to be the leader that you actually need. And it sounds bizarre at first when we see that the government's going to be upon his shoulders. But it's actually, we hear that and we're like, that's just a bizarre saying. But the reality is it's actually very good news. What Isaiah is communicating to us is that when Jesus is the one who puts the government on his shoulders, it means he's the one that puts the future, he puts the flourishing, he puts the life, he puts the goodness that God wants for his people, he puts it on his own back so he can guarantee it for his people. He does what is absolutely necessary so we can experience the goodness that God wants for us. And so God knows our ultimate need. He knows that what we need is a good king, and so he sent us his son. And so maybe you and I have forgotten that that's exactly what we need. Maybe we've forgotten that what we ultimately need is someone who will lead us, someone who's going to come alongside us, someone who is going to be for us. Maybe we've forgotten that, as I said just a few moments ago, that whatever it is that we think we need, if it's not Jesus, we've gotten our lines crossed. And that's where we're going to dive into these titles of who Jesus is. And 
uh, two weeks ago, Terry Andrus led the fellowship group in a study of these, and he just listed out all of these scripture references. And so, so many different people were just reading scripture that, that sort of illustrated or undergirded these titles of Jesus. And it's just a beautiful litany of scripture. Um, we're just going to focus in on these titles here this morning. Uh, and we're going to look at them as, as they're laid out here. We're not going to cross-reference, but there's plenty of cross-references if you want them. Uh, and as we're looking at these titles for Jesus, uh, I did a quick search this week, just like how important are job titles? How important are those? And so I found this interesting article, and I'm not sure how many of you are, are on LinkedIn, but I'm sure that every one of you has been invited at least 12 times to be on LinkedIn. And on LinkedIn, you pretty much set up your own profile, your own business profile. You get to say, here's where I work, here's what my job title is. And what has happened is that doesn't really get verified. So people make up their own job titles. So I found an article of some of the more entertaining job titles that people have created for themselves. I just want to share a few of them with you. All right, so one of them is Chief People Herder at an, at an, at a, uh, an organization. Chief People Herder. I found one that was Chief Thinker. One was called Digital Overlord. I'm not sure what that means at all. And my favorite on LinkedIn was Wizard of Lightbulb Moments. All right? Another side note, it has been posited that potential employers actually don't find it that impressive when you make up your own titles. So you may want to clean that up before you send your resume out. Now, this was one, this was a title of a position, uh, there's a country in Africa, uh, and they started a new ministry. They started, well, I, I say ministry, they call it a ministry. For us, it would be called an agency uh, for their country. And this was the title of the commissioner for that new agency in their government, the Commissioner for Happiness and Purpose Fulfillment. The Commissioner for Happiness and Purpose Fulfillment. Now, that's a real job title. That could go on LinkedIn and be legitimate. But that shows you in that title that that person had a specific role to play for the people in that country. And these titles that we have for Jesus are real titles, a specific role that he plays in our life by God's design. So we're going to look at these titles one by one as we go through them. And just to share one quick comment from a commentator, he said, in the Old Testament, names were a commentary on one's character or attributes or essence of one's being. And so we are given insights into the multifaceted picture of the Messiah. So in other words, as we look at these four titles, it's meant to teach us about Jesus and help us to understand what he, who he is to us and for us, who he really is, so that we'll lean on him to be who he is and as he's been given to us. So we're going to go through these. Wonderful counselor. And so there's been a discussion, all right, is, that, is he wonderful and a counselor, or is he a wonderful counselor? And the answer is yes. That is both true. I think the way that Isaiah is leveraging it here is he's a wonderful counselor. I think it's one title, but I think it's one title in which both of those descriptors are true. Now, as we understand what the Hebrew is getting at here in, in Isaiah chapter 9, wonderful means exactly what we think it means. It means causes a feeling or attitude of amazement. In other words, he's an amazing counselor. I have no struggle at all believing that he's wonderful. I was, I was 
I've always been a little taken aback by the fact that he's referred to as a counselor. It just seems a little weak to me. So I was like, well, surely if I, get, if I dig into the Hebrew, which means if I read what other people have said about the Hebrew, I will find that actually counselor is another word for powerful overlord king. Surely it can't mean counselor. But here's what it means in the Hebrew. It means one who speaks or urges certain directions or actions or thoughts. He's a counselor, an advisor. Our king comes alongside us in an amazing way. He wants us to be led into flourishing. He wants us to be led into actions and thoughts that are good and beautiful. He doesn't manhandle us. He comes alongside us. We have a king who doesn't beat our back with a rod. He puts it on his own shoulder, and then he wants us to grow. He wants us to flourish. And what I want us to see as we think about that, maybe it strikes you the same way that it strikes me. I forget that that's what he wants from me, and so I don't ask him to help me. I think he wants the, I essentially assume he's just waiting for the outcome. He's like, you produce the product at the end. How you get there, I'll just judge you on. But really, he wants to be alongside us in the process. He wants to see us become more and more who he's designed us to be. But if we don't believe that, then we don't ask him to help us. But here in this title, we find out the king, the perfect gift that we were given, the supply that we need is a king who comes alongside us and wants us to grow. So if you're struggling with your actions or your thoughts, which is all of us, what we're supposed to do is ask Jesus to lead us. Ask him to help us with how we're thinking, how we're feeling, with the decisions that we need to make. He's not waiting to see what we're going to do. He wants to be in the midst of our doing it. So let's lean on him in that way. All right, next, mighty God. That one's probably the most self-explanatory. He's a really powerful king and ruler. He is a powerful king, a powerful force to be reckoned with. And the good news is he also loves us. But he's a mighty God. And so Jesus is powerful. And our trust in him is as mighty and as powerful. We're gonna, our trust in him is going to grow the more we remember and retell how we've seen him work powerfully. And I cleared this with Dave just to, right before the service. It's okay to share this. Uh, Dave has been doing that ever since he came home from the hospital. If you've had a conversation with Dave and asked him about his experience, he has told you all about Jesus' mighty work. The way that he brought healing and worked in so many details. And as Dave puts it, he feels like he would be robbing Jesus of glory if he didn't tell the story. That's what we need to do. Jesus is mighty. He does mighty things. Let's be people who talk about it. Let's be people who not only note it, but then remember and retell it. He's mighty. He does mighty works. We'll trust him with what we need in the future the more we remember what he's already done in our own personal past. We have to remember he is mighty, and we have stories to tell about how mighty he is. All right, he's also the everlasting father. And I, I want us to be careful here. You know, some folks have struggled with this and said, all right, well, I guess Jesus and the Father are not different persons. They're just different manifestations of the same person. That is, as, uh, I believe it's modalism. It's 
a heresy. This is not Isaiah teaching heresy. I like the way the Gospel Transformation Bible, that's the Bible that we give to our high school students when they graduate. The note, it says here, it says that idea of father is a royal one who's like a loving father to his people. In other words, Jesus relates to us with the kind of personal care and personal sense of responsibility for our good that a father has. He's not our father. is God the father, and he restores us to that relationship, but his relationship to us individually can be compared, you know, sometimes we use elder brother language, uh, and that could be a bit confusing because I'm an elder brother, and my, I know my brother hopes that Jesus is not at all like me. But this idea of father wants us to understand there's a sense of one-way relationship that's there, of giving, of self-giving. And I don't know what kind of father you had or what kind of father you are, but every one of us is hardwired to want a close, loving relationship with our father. And when we don't have it, we act out. Every one of us. And it's okay for us to be honest about that. We want the love and affirmation of a father. We were hardwired for it because we were hardwired to want to walk with God in the garden, to talk to our true father. Jesus restores us to that relationship. He's not God the Father, but he loves us in a way that can best be described as the one-way relationship of a father, and also he restores us into relationship with the true father. That's what he does for us. That's how he loves and cares for us. And then that last item, that last title you could say, Prince of Peace. I mean, a prince, we know what a prince is, although in America we're not real big on royal families. But, well, actually, I guess when they get married, we seem to be real big on royal families. But when they're not getting married, we really could care less or couldn't care less. Uh, but this idea of being a prince, the, the, the word there, it's just a commander. It's, a, it's a, a leader of government, and he has family connections with the royalty. But the real, the real uh, component to this, he's the leader of God's government who makes it his business to be about shalom for us, to be about this holistic peace for us. And maybe you've heard shalom described before, but I just want to read what it means. This is from the Dictionary of, I'm sorry, yeah, the Dictionary of Biblical Literature, I think is what it stands for. Um, shalom means peace, prosperity, completeness, safeness, health, satisfaction, contentment. I'm going to read that again. It means peace, prosperity, completeness, safeness, health, satisfaction, contentment. Jesus makes it his business to be the one who leads us, counsels and advises us into a life where the peace that he's purchased us can be experienced by us. And it's this holistic peace. When we think about what our world needs, when I think about what our world at large needs, when I think about what our nation needs, at large needs, when I think about what our local community needs, what we as a church family need, what we as, uh, as married couples and nuclear families and extended families, what we personally need in our own hearts, like everyone needs shalom. Everyone needs peace. I mean, everyone needs that idea of completeness. Everyone needs to feel safe. Everyone needs to feel satisfaction and contentment. We feel so unsettled. Shalom is God's settling presence with us, where we can be at peace. 
And we're told here, if you want to be at peace, then you're going to want Jesus as your king. Because only Jesus as your king brings peace. It's interesting that the way that God lays it out for us is if we want peace, we need Jesus as our king, not for X to be done or Y to be done or Z to be done. We don't need for this official to be elected. We don't need for this majority to be present. We don't need for our local community to go after this particular initiative. We don't need, some of those things may be good, but we don't need those things to be at peace. We have what the supply that God has provided, which is what we need. We have a prince who cares for us and leads us into the experience of peace. So if you feel unsettled today, during Christmas, at other times during the year, when you feel unsettled, what you need is what God has supplied. Jesus brings us that sense of peace because he's a place where we're safe. He's a place where we're complete. He's a relationship that will never abandon us. We have what we need in Jesus. So in closing this morning, I want to ask you, like, what component or what aspect of Jesus' essence or his attributes, his character, which one do you need desperately today? Every day, we need some aspect of Jesus' supply for us. Every day, we need a wonderful counselor, or we need him as, as our mighty God, or we need him as the experience of an everlasting father. We need him as a prince of peace. Like, What do you need today? And so I'm going to invite uh, the worship team to come back up. And what we're going to do is they're going to play just for about two or three minutes. I'm going to pray for us briefly, and I want you to reflect on two things. I want you to ask God to remind you how Jesus has been your supply this year, how he's been what you needed, whether you needed peace in the midst of whatever is going on in life, or if you needed him to work powerfully and you know that he did or if you needed to have the love and affirmation of close relationship in the midst of whatever was going on and he pressed in on your heart, or if you needed to be led with wisdom and he gave you wisdom, how has Jesus been your supply this year? And how do you know you need him today, tomorrow, Christmas, and beyond? For the next few minutes, pray that God will remind you the way that Jesus has supplied your need this year and then share your need for him in prayer. Father, thanks so much for this time we've had this morning. We thank you for a chance to reflect on these titles of Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you are truly our wonderful counselor, our mighty God. You are our everlasting Father and our Prince of Peace. You are absolutely everything that we need. We pray that you We'll press in on our hearts in the next two to three minutes and just remind us how you have worked so we can praise you for it and then free us to cry out to you to be for us the supply that we know that you already are. Help us to be specific. We pray this in your name. Amen.